my name is Thomas. Welcome to British Culture, Albion Never Dies. This week, I'm asking, what is a Church of England church service? In this episode, I'm just going through what it's like when you turn up on a Sunday morning at a service. Last week, I did an episode which was an interview with Canon Ned Lunn which really gave some contextual information to the Church of England. And I've got to say three things about it. First of all, thank you very, very much to John Orty, who uh, is the podcaster behind the stunts. He messaged me, he was one of the first people to download and listen to it and spotted that there was a, a minute silence in the middle, and that was due to a technical error. Thanks to him messaging me so early, I was able to resolve that. It was just a, a small track of music that had dropped out somehow. And I was able to re-upload, so if you downloaded one of those very early downloads, uh, then you had that minute size, otherwise I was able to fix it pretty quickly. But I was able to do that because he messaged me, so a huge thank you to him. That's really, really helpful. The, the second point was a message by somebody who pointed out that Bradford Cathedral does not have a peace chapel. And I said right at the beginning, oh, this is recording the peace chapel, and I talked about Bradford and its unique and a peace heritage, but in fact I was wrong, that was simply on me, that was, uh, was misremembering, it was recorded in, uh, I believe, the Chapel of the Holy Spirit, so that was simply my mistake. Oh, and the third thing is what many people message me about, which is that the interview was of course recorded live in the cathedral itself. So, those who were listening on great audio setups, Bluetooth speakers galore and so on, were saying how fantastic it was and it sounded like they were right there in the cathedral listening to it and they could hear bells in the distance and they could hear, you know, just the the atmosphere of the cathedral. They really enjoyed it. Some people listen as they say, drive to work, and for them, over the noise of the car and so on, it was inaudible, and of course it sounds different on phones. Uh, so if I've heard my own audio back on an iPhone versus uh, an Android phone, it does sound very, very different. So, so this episode was recorded with help uh, from Canon Nedlund, and there is that 10-minute audio uh, which just talks about what is a Church of England church service. I'll record that as a kind of a bonus, so I'll release that as a bonus, uh, but here it is just me, just to make sure you get that really good quality audio uh, so you don't miss out on what is the, the blow-by-blow of a service. And of course, Anglican services, they go through the particular order set out in the uh, I believe, Book of Common Prayer, Again, if I'm wrong on anything, that's purely, purely on me, although I've been advised very, very well from this episode. <laughs> but first, I thought I might go into uh, what is Bradford Cathedral. Again, some American listeners uh, had messaged me because uh, cathedrals seem uncommon in some denominations. So very simply, a cathedral is kind of like the head office of a church. So you have a whole series of churches, especially in rural areas, and I live in a relatively kind of say semi-rural area, and then I go into the city, and that is the the cathedral is the church, which is the authority over all the others in the area. It is a network. This Church of England is of course a, a state church. It is uh, is putting the organized in organized religion. So there are many throughout the UK. I've got a book written by Simon Jenkins in front of me called England's Cathedrals. He is the author of England's Thousand Best Churches. So I suppose once you've done a thousand churches, it's time to work up towards the begins, the cathedrals. And he has here on page 17 a special section on 
Bradford Cathedral. So I'll just read out a, a section of this and make some, uh, some of my own observations on it as well before I get into the, the order of service. Again, I'll be using the audio from a Bradford Cathedral service thanks to the, uh, the media officer, Phil Lickie. So, Bradford Cathedral. East of Bradford city centre is the hillside enclave of Little Germany, base of the German-Jewish merchants who traded in the town's worsted cloth in the mid-19th century. My own, <laughs> my own addition here is that worsted cloth doesn't mean it's the worst. In fact, it was a fantastic centre of the, uh, the wool trade around here. So, the area of Italianate warehouses and fawn-coloured buildings is a precious survivor of the sweeping demolitions that hit Bradford in the 1960s and later under its city engineer S.G. Wardley. Perched above Church Bank is the old parish church, whose elevation to cathedral status in 1919 presented an archaeological, sorry, architectural challenge, archaeology on the mind, because Bradford Cathedral does have a very ancient history, and uh, the fawn-coloured walls, that's because it's the natural colour of the rock around here. Yorkshireman Edward Mouth, I haven't come across the surname here, working on the severely restricted site, demolished and rebuilt the east end and clamped buildings around the tower, which are used as cathedral offices. These were opened in 1963. The result is not so much modern as modernised. In fact, the first time a visitor, just on observation, when I've taken people around, they've generally not been aware of how modern some of the sections are. It's very, very interestingly done. Bradford Cathedral is compact. The stolid Tudor Tower of 1508 is like a stout wedge driven into the ground to stop the building sliding downhill. The porch is big enough for a village wedding. A similar quaintness is dominant inside. The nave was completed in 1458. Unadorned perpendicular arches, arcades, sorry, carry a simple celestry with no uh, triforium. The walls are rough cast stone, unplastered, and the roof has open wooden beams. Indeed, of course, you can see that the, the rough the rough stone are the older sections. And whilst we're talking about the, the 1500s and the 1400s, the history of it actually goes back to well before 1066, and there's areas of the cathedral that might well be, uh, well, considerably older. The view east hints at something grander. A wide arch frames a crossing flanked by Morph's coolly elegant triple lancets to the north, east and south. Morph is more successful here than at his later Guildford Cathedral in generating Gothic grace and movement. The walls are white with sandstone dressings, a pleasant contrast to the crumpled old drawing room of the nave. Bradford is chiefly notable for its Victorian stained glass, much of it from a donor in the 1850s who was linked to the pre-Raphaelite Morris partnership. The group was responsible for the three striking portrait windows of 1863 in the new Lady Chapel. The south transept is a gallery by C.E. Kemp, depicting the life of Christ, suffused with his favourite green light. The north transept has William Morris glass of martyrs and saints, while specifically north British saints are by the firm Shridgley and Hunt. Though no friend to daylight, these Victorian windows form an ideal companion to a Gothic interior. All of them in chancel and nave are compatible in style, a rarity in an English church. Yes, all the, all the windows very much match, and they do attract tourists. We get people from all over the UK coming here looking at our William Morris windows. 
And I know this because I'm often one of those people at the front door who says, come in, welcome, are you new here? <laughs> and handing you your order of service. So you come in, and of course the organ is playing, you have your, your piece of paper, and you settle down as the organ plays. And so in front of me is an order of service. First of all, we have the welcome and notices, perhaps from the, the dean, the boss of the cathedral, perhaps from the canons who also serve there. Whoever is presiding will give you a welcome and notices. What's, what's going on? First, to business. Once that's dealt with, we then have the processional hymn as the choir come down the centre of the nave. First shall be last, last shall be first. And they process down with the, the choir at the beginning, the youngest, normally to the oldest, and of course with the clergy at the back. They settle in their places, and the president, whoever is presiding over the service, gives his formal welcome after the informal notices. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We have then prayers of penitence and preparation. These can be different throughout the year. So for example, in the month leading up to Christmas, Advent, we are preparing for the, for the great day. And of course, in the month leading up to Easter, we have Lent. Again, a different kind of prayer. So the calendar might determine the nature of some of these prayers, but whatever the prayers are, they help us get ready for what is to come. We praise you, our God, for Jesus, born of a woman and nurtured in her love, and for Mary, a reminder of your patient, waiting love. Blessed be God forever. Let us call to mind our sin, our failure to value the love of others, and our failure to love as Christ has loved us. Your love gives us life from the moment of conception. We fail to live as your children. Lord, have mercy. You call us to do good. We seek our own good. Christ, have mercy. You hear us when we cry for help. We ignore the cries of others. 
Lord, have mercy. We have our collet. Let us pray. God of compassion, whose son Jesus Christ, the child of Mary, shared the life of a home in Nazareth, and on the cross drew the whole human family to himself. Strengthen us in our daily living, that in joy and in sorrow we may know the power of your presence to bind together and to heal. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Now we proceed to the reading. These are not selected at random, nor are they selected on a whim from whoever is presiding. This is selected through the liturgical calendar. We proceed through the Bible and order long, long creed so that we cover the entirety of the Bible. This is also wonderful for me because as I'm on my travels, no matter where I am in the world, no matter where I am specifically within the country that I'm in, I will always be guaranteed to have the correct reading for that day, that hour, that I can join in the Anglican Communion, and I will have the right reading so that over, I believe it's a year and a half, roughly, I will have the entire Bible read to me, explained to me by those in authority. The Old Testament reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and she took him as her own son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord.
Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the Gospel of the Lord. After our readings, we of course have it explained to us. This happens in the sermon. This is an important part of the service in which whatever questions we're wrestling with in the world and in scripture, we can come to terms with it. Let us pray. Loving God, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will speak to us afresh this morning. Open our hearts, our minds, and our lives as we reflect on your word together. Amen. It is wonderful to be here with you this morning on Mothering Sunday. Mothering Sunday is always in Lent, every year on the fourth Sunday in Lent. And this is different from Mother's Day, uh, celebrated in the States and also in the Netherlands, where I am from which is on the second Sunday in May. So I get to celebrate Mothering Sunday and Mother's Day in March and in May. So on this fourth Sunday in Lent, three weeks before Easter, in the olden days, the servants who worked away from their families would go back home for the day to visit their home church, the Mother Church, and on the way, they would pick flowers in the fields and they would bring cakes back for their families. So it was a day of homecoming. And I love this word, homecoming, and how on Mothering Sunday it is associated not just with family, but also with God and the church. We come home to God, who is like a father and a mother to us. 
The sermon is, of course, a central part of the Church of England service, and the entire sermon can be found on YouTube, on Bradford Cathedral's YouTube channel. And those are, are wonderful. Uh, so I've just included a small clip of it here. But as we proceed through the service, once we've had the, the scripture explained to us and its significance, uh, both in the scripture itself and perhaps in our own lives, in our own context, we then proceed to the creed. I invite you, if you're able, to stand as we declare our faith in God. We believe in God the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. We believe in God the Son, who lives in our hearts with faith and fills us with his love. We believe in God the Holy Spirit, who strengthens us with power from on high. We believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So... We have had our prayers of preparation and our prayers of penitence. We've had our readings and our sermon. Now we proceed to the prayers of intercession. As children of a loving God, who always listens to our cries, let us pray to him who cares for us with the tender love and compassion of a mother. On this Mothering Sunday, we pray for all mothers and those who would dearly love to become parents, for those in happy, stable relationships, for those bringing up children on their own, and for those who have children with special needs, and for those who have opened their homes and hearts to foster or adopt children. May they be a blessing to those in their care. Loving God, Jesus, your son, was born into the family of Mary and Joseph. Be with those for whom today is difficult and a reminder of mothers departed. And for those who have difficult and fractured relationships with their mothers, bless all parents and all who care for children. Strengthen those families living under stress and may your love be known where no human love is found. God of love, hear our prayer. After these prayers, we have the peace. This has been done very differently in different churches all around the UK, but essentially we're having our one-to-one -one greeting with our fellows in the church. We are a community. Traditionally, of course, we'd all be shaking hands in COVID times, perhaps a little wave, a little smile. The clergy will come down and they'll bless us individually. This is a time of community. Through the prophet Isaiah, God says... As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Thank you. However we feel comfortable, let's share a sign of peace with one another. We move into the offertory hymn. This is the hymn where donations are made.
after the donations are made, we have the preparation of the table. This, of course, leads into the Eucharistic prayer, the Lord's prayer, and the breaking of the bread with the Angus Day Lamb of God. dismissal. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Praise God who loves us. May God who gave birth to all creation bless us. May God who became incarnate by an earthly mother bless us. May God who broods as a mother over her children bless us. And may Almighty God bless us, Father, Son and Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We have our final hymn, the procession out, and our organ voluntary.
Thank you very, very much for listening to this special episode of British Culture Albion Never Dies. My name is Thomas, and I hope you found this episode interesting and enjoyable. Goodbye, and God bless.